started with. Are you with me? Yeah. It is a circular message in which we're going to start in one place and end up at that same place. And my heart is that it might help you to be renewed back to a bold and daring faith in which this body started. Amen? I hope that I am able to remind us that when we meet Jesus, we brought absolutely nothing to the table. But when we left that table, what we left with was something that was powerful and supernatural. And he did so that we might have a testimony to offer that would express his great name, not just ours. Amen? Amen. To begin with this morning, I want to bring us back a minute because we are on the verge of our six-year anniversary coming up in just a few months in 2024, yeah. April 5th. <laughs> I'm going to go back to our notes. That sure was the fifth. 2024 will make six years that we were here. Y'all got that photo of the leadership team here? So six years ago, almost six years ago-ish, somewhere in April, <laughs> my family and I showed up here with a dream. That dream was that what we had experienced in the kingdom for so many years in so many places all over the globe, that it could be possible here in Denton, Texas as well. Oh, yeah. And what we had experienced was watching people's be lives being transformed, being renewed, being risen from the grave, metaphorically in so many ways and sometimes physically. That what we had experienced in many places could happen here. And that the things that we had experienced for a long time in the kingdom, those supernatural things, would take place in this city, in this region, and reach the entire globe. Imagine. These people who are standing behind you, beside Jen and I, are the first fruits of this land. They are the first to take hold of a supernatural message, a supernatural faith, a bold faith, one that defined their own carnal minds, things that they did not understand, but now they live in. These were the first fruits of this land. Amen. These were the first of the, the dream that was the seed in our hearts. And now they have multiplied and they have become us. That was just six years ago, but I want to tell you something this morning. We're not done. Oh, yeah. We're not finished. If they're the firstborn, then there's some secondborns in here already. And on and on and on, because our God is raising a supernatural family in this city. He did not send outsiders into the city to get something done that was already happening. I wish that it were, but he did not. He sent outsiders into this city to accomplish something that he wanted done, whether it was going to get done by the insiders or by outsiders. And the hard truth is it needed outsiders to come here and spark a fire in this place. Yeah. So I want to bring you back to Deuteronomy chapter 4 this morning where we're going to start. Before we give you our sermon title, we're just going to reminisce for a minute. 
and then move on. Amen? Are you in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 1? I can wait on you. It's okay. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 1 in the ESV says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you might live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, he's given it to you. You shall not add to the word that I'm commanding you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today. Move with me down to verse 9, where it says, Only I want you to take care and, be, and keep your soul diligently. He's saying, hey, listen, you're going to have to maintain your soul. It's a partnership, you know. Least you forget the things that your eyes have seen. Do you remember when you first stood in the Lord's presence? Do you remember when you were radically changed by Jesus Christ? Because if you can't remember that, maybe you weren't and you need to be today. But for those of you who can remember, when you enter into the promise, which then becomes a reality, make sure that you don't forget these things that your eyes have seen in the past because they're going to serve you well in the future. At least they depart from your heart all the days of your life, the ESV says. It's an interesting wording. So it goes on to say, make them known to your children and your children's children. He's like, make a culture out of it <laughs> so that you might cultivate those who come after you. How on the day that you stood before the Lord, your, your God in Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I might let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. Verse 11, and you came near, watch this, and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with the heart of heaven. Could you imagine having to scribe this and write this and had to describe actually in just a few short words what happened when you were encountered by the living God? And the writer of Deuteronomy says, and the mountain burned with the heart of heaven. Even though it was wrapped in darkness and clouds and gloomed, it burned with the heart of heaven. And then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire and you heard the sound of his words, but you saw no form. But there, there was only a voice. Have you ever been there? You're like, Lord, I'm looking for you. But listen, all I am left with is your voice. Saints, that's more than enough. The Lord speaks a promise to you. He's going to get it done. When all is said, all we really have, saints, is the promise of God. And that promise is from God. And you know what that promise is? It is supernatural. Walk with me a little bit further in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6. And he says this. And I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out 
of the land of slavery. I love how he just constantly has to remind his people of what he has supernaturally done for them. Listen, don't forget when you walk into the promise that you supernaturally got here. <laughs> like it was not going to happen. It was impossible without the intervention of a supernatural hand of God. Remember that I brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. Verse seven. So you shall not have any other gods before you. Verse eight. You shall not make many uh, make for yourself carved images. Verse nine. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I am a jealous God. Verse 10. But showing steadfast love to thousands upon thousands, those who love me and keep my command. This is what I do. Verse 11 says this. You shall not take my name, the name of the Lord, in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes the Lord in vain. Today's message is called Supernatural. Are you with me this morning? And I want to talk to you this morning about the possibility of taking the Lord's name in vain, because your culture has taught you that somebody, when somebody says GD, that they just took the Lord's name in vain. And that is such a shallow perspective of the word that we miss exactly what we might be doing more than the one that you say cussing all the time. Today, I want to talk to you about not taking for granted the supernatural relationship that you entered into. When you gave your life to Jesus. Let me step through Hebrews for a minute before we get started. Hebrews chapter one says it like this long ago and at many times and in many ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, that's the days you're living in. He has spoken to us <laughs> by his son. I mean, we have made this such a rote religious thing. It's ridiculous. Like just those words alone are, are like, uh-huh, uh-huh, I heard that before, I heard that before. Uh, excuse me, Jesus was born of a virgin, had the raised from the grave, send his Holy Spirit and transform your rebellious life just to get you to listen to him this morning. Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the entire cosmos, the whole, the whole world, universe. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Wow. Listen to what verse 13 says. Walk with me down a little bit. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I, I make your enemies a footstool, footstool for your foot? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are inheriting salvation? For since the message declared by angels, when's the last time you saw an angel? You're like, well, I guess that was like Bible times. Maybe that's why you don't see him. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression of obedience, disobedience, sorry, received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 
It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders. Another thing that probably happened in the Bible that's I'm not really sure that, you know, happens today. I mean, let's. Oh, we say we believe in those things, but I mean, do you really seek out to see if that's true in your life? While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. Oh, watch this. And by gifts of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Anybody feel with the Holy Spirit today? Anybody moving the gifts of the Spirit in this place? And then, friend, you are a sign and a wonder. You ever look at a friend, right? You see their behavior, but then they move and you see Jesus in them and you're like, I wonder how that happens. Yeah. Or some unforeseen person shows up that you wouldn't choose to speak into your life. Right. And you're like, that's the Lord. You're like, it must be a sign because I'm still in wonder about those people. Signs, miracles, wonders and all these things working in you. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Do we take the name of the Lord in vain? You all really don't understand what that means? I don't want to take his name in vain. I don't want to take him lightly. I don't want to take the supernatural work of God that's going on in my life and make it base. Are you following me? This is what we do. We have many denominations, right, that just build their kingdoms on base ritual. So when we see taking the Lord's name in vain, the name right in Hebrews uh, is Shem or Hashem, right? The name, the name. So, for example, Adam, right? His name meant something, did it not? Right. Like it was like, well, let me get my Bible dictionary out and see. Well, it means red and it means dirt, but I don't really understand that. Well, his name says something. His name means something. His Hashem carries something when we talk about Adam. It says something profound about man, which he represents. It says your flesh is made of dirt. But God breathed into you anyway. What about the name Eve, Isha, which means mother of the living? Her name meant something. It said something about her, right? They had a son named Seth after uh, after their other son killed another son, right? Which was a big deal to them. Why? It meant God had appointed. It said something to them, so they wanted to say it and print it into his name because his life was going to say something to many generations, right? It said to them that his life, although that their godly offspring was murdered, that God was willing to try again. His, meant, his Hashem meant something. The Hashem of Noah, right? In, in Genesis 5, Genesis 5 literally says, and they called and he was called Noah saying out of the ground that the Lord had cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. 
his, his name meant something. Abram or Abraham in Genesis 17, it says, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of the multitude of nations. His name still means something. It carries weight when we talk about it. In, what about the name of Jacob where we get Israel? Genesis 32, 24, it says, And Jacob was left alone and he wrestled with a man who was God and his angel. Depending on your translation, he wrestled with an angel or a man or he wrestled with God. And what happened? He came out with a new walk and a new name. He walked differently. He was transformed. And now your name will be called Israel because, well, you strived with the Lord. Isaiah 7:10 says this about Yeshua, about Jesus himself. In chapter 7 and verse 10, it says, Adonai spoke again to, uh, to Ahazah, and he said, Ask Adonai, your God, to give you a sign. Ask it anywhere, for the depths of Sheol to the heights above. But Ahazah's, Ahaz answered, I won't ask, I will not test Adonai. Then the prophet said, listen here, house of David. Is trying people's patience such a small thing for you that you must try the patience of my God as well? <laughs> Therefore, Adonai himself will give you people a sign. The young woman will be pregnant, bear a son and name him Emmanuel, Yeshua, salvation, God with us. Yeshua's name carries weight. It is his body of reputation. It is more than just a name. God's name is more than just a name. When we, when we talk about him and we carry his name, we are carrying his reputation, his body of work, and we should not take that lightly. Saints, every biblical name holds in and of itself a reputation for the body of work in which it was created for. What each person was born for, known for, and created to accomplish. Do you get that this morning? And either we're going to fully embrace that, acknowledge that, and accept that, and receive that truth, or we are going to continue to hold those names in vain. We are going to continue to hold the fourth commandment given by God in Deuteronomy when he says, do not Hold God's body of work and reputation in vain. Do not take it lightly. This isn't an intellectual exercise, saints. It's a demonstration of life. Either you believe and therefore live as God is supernatural or you just don't. Luke 24, 31 says it like this. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. This is Yeshua coming back, right? And walking along the road with two fools to Emmaus. And he says, and he vanished from their sight. And they said, what happened? Did not our hearts burn within us when he talked on the road with us together? And did not he open our eyes to the scriptures? Saints, when's the last time that your heart burned to the heart of heaven? When is the last time that he opened up scriptures to you and nobody taught it to you? You just got a ray of revelation from somewhere. How long has it been? Do you remember? Do you remember when you used to stay up all night praying? Do you remember? Do you remember when you used to 
Get up early in the morning to spend time with him because he was the first thing that you wanted and the last thing that you wanted to do before you laid your head to rest. When's the last time that you, you put away food so that you could spend time with him? When's the last time that you turned off your iPhone so that you can turn in and tune in to his presence? When's the last time you got slain in the spirit in the church? When's the last time that you didn't care what you, your friends thought, but you, were, you didn't care, you felt a hint of his presence, and you said, that's good enough, I'm going to go get some more. I don't care what it looks like, I don't care what you think, I only care what he thinks. What snuck in on you? What cut in on you? What happened? Why is that old news? Do you remember the times that you used to come to Pastor Mike with faith story after faith story, miraculous things happen in your life? When's the last time that you were on the square and you ran after that person in the wheelchair because you were sure God was going to heal them? What's happened? Have we drifted? Have we fallen so far? Are we taking God's name I want to start this year by making sure that we're not taking his name lightly. That we're not treating the work that he is doing in our lives and in this city lightly. That we're not making the supernatural average, base, cornal, vain. Saints, you can't learn yourself closer to Jesus' throne room. It's not an intellectual pursuit, an intellectual ascension to him. He is either God with you now, as he was on the first day, or there's idolatry in you. We're going to rid it out of you this morning because it's the thing that keeps distance between you when he did not put any there. Deuteronomy 4 9 told us this and only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. Wow. What have you seen? Forget about what's coming and what you don't have. What do you have? And what have you seen? What has he been to you already? Don't forget that. It's what you work from instead of working for. Deuteronomy 5, 6 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. Why didn't he just translate them from Egypt right, to the promise, right? He had to build a relationship with them so they would know what God had saved them, delivered them, and set them apart. He had to build a testimony in them. He is not going to plug you into the promise without testimony so that you can ruin the promise. There's already people in the promised land, weren't there? What did they not have? The testimony of Yahweh. And what did they do? Dilute the land. So he says, I'm going to take you into a wilderness. I'm going to put my testimony in you. It's going to be supernatural. I'm going to part the way. 
I'm going to pin you against the corner. You're going to see the enemy coming after you. I'm going to part the sea, which nobody can do but me. You're going to walk through, and you're going to have to remember that the next time you're standing before a Goliath, because when you get there, you're going to remember those things, and when you're looking at that, you're going to say, you one tall dude, but you are no ocean. Deuteronomy 5.11 You shall not take my name, the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. For the Lord, your God, will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Saints, some of you walk in here this morning with guilt. And the reason is is because the Lord's asked you to do some things, but you don't believe that he can do it through you. So you're looking for somebody else to do it. Instead of you do it, and it's causing you to feel guilty behind the scenes, and you don't know what's actually keeping you from walking into what God has for you. Last week, the pastors told us to take a sober assessment, and I have. This year, we are on the precipice of the greatest expansion of the One Association churches. One that we have never seen before, and Remnant Church is also on the verge of the greatest harvest that we have seen in this city. I laid my head to rest last night, and, and as I'm sleeping, I'm seeing many people being added to this place. I'm seeing new faces and new faces and new faces, and the Lord's renewing us back to the place in which we started so that we can give them what was given to us then, but now it's not just me giving it to them, it's you giving it to them. Saints, we're about to see People walk into our lives and people walk into your lives that God's called beautiful. But I got to tell you, what he calls beautiful is not what you call beautiful. And I want to make sure that we don't miss that. Are you with me this morning? I want to turn to Luke 4, if you would, this morning. And it's going to remind us of what a beautiful harvest looks like that Jesus is after. Are you with me? Because I don't want to overlook what's beautiful standing right in front of us. And I think often we do, especially those who have received such a great salvation. Saints, there's a harvest coming for us in this city. There's a harvest coming for us in this region. This is a harvest of people. And those people are going to be wild and they're going to be amazing. They're going to look crazy. Right. It's what it's going to look like. But is that what it's going to look like to you? Or are we going to overlook it? So somebody walks in here and they're tatted up from their head to their toe. Does that offend you or does that excite you? If there's somebody walks in here and they don't know whether a man or a woman and they're confused, does that excite you or does that scare you? See, something's wrong with the people of God when they run from the thing that's obvious instead of to it because they know there's the solution. What God calls beautiful, you don't always call beautiful. And sometimes it causes you to overlook it. And so he's going to renew our sight this morning so that we can actually see what he calls beautiful. Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. Are you there? I'm going to give this to you out of the New King James Version this morning. This is where Jesus begins his ministry. Jesus is fresh out 
of a baptism of the Holy Spirit, which then leads him directly into the Negev, which is the wilderness in your Bible, right? Where he is, where he faces the devil and gives him a spanking and then he walks right out of there. And what does he do? He walks right into a synagogue. Verse 14, then Jesus returned in power. Somebody say power. power. Jesus returned in power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee and news of him went out through all the surrounding region and he taught in their synagogue being glorified by all. This is the part where they liked him, right? So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up and read and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good the gospel to the poor. He has sent me sent me sorry to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant, and he said, enough said. But they weren't happy about that, so they want to question him. And all the eyes were on him in the synagogue. They were fixed on him like, you going to elaborate? Take notice of this scripture really quick because it's very important to understand what Jesus does as well as what he says. He takes the prophet Isaiah and he uses what they know in order to teach something that they are missing. He is reminding them here of what they should know. What is it? He says, I am supernaturally. Somebody say supernatural. I am supernaturally anointed to Preach the gospel to those who are well off spiritually. No, 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 no. To preach the gospel to those who are poor in spirit. To heal the broke, to heal the open hearted. <laughs> no, it's to heal the broken hearted. To proclaim liberty to a free man. <laughs> no, to those still bound by their demonic possession. Those who are still living in their demonic prisons. To proclaim a message of recovery to sight with those with a little bit of poor vision like I'm getting at 45. No, 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 no. To bring a message of full recovery to those who are hopelessly blind. To set at liberty those who are just a little bit depressed, you know, because I ate a bad pizza. No, to apostello, to set apart those who are crushed for God's use. And what did he call it? That's what it looks like to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. <laughs> that word proclaim is to call out and to invite into. Well, saints, you didn't come to Jesus because you were unattracted. You came to him because something was attractive about him or the message that he actually gave to you. I want to ask you this morning, is your gospel attractive? Is your life attractive? I mean, the one that you preach before opening your mouth. Jesus starts his ministry by getting full of the Holy Spirit, heading right to the center of the appointed messengers and reminds them what an anointed messenger lives like and looks like. 
Imagine if he did that and walked in here today. <laughs> like, full-blown mirror. Not really sure if I'm dressed right, Lord. He walked right in and said, this is what anointed messenger looks like, and you should look like that too. Wow. This is what it looks like to not take the Lord's name in vain. My life is supernatural. You don't understand? Come watch me live it, and I'm going to show you how your should look too. Or else, it's just vanity, vanity. Saints, by Jesus' own definition, if you are not taking his Father's name in vain or treating his saving grace lightly, then your life will be marked by preaching, the spirit, preach, preaching to the poor in spirit. It'll be marked by healing the brokenhearted. It'll be marked by speaking freedom to those imprisoned by demons. It'll be marked by telling the blind that it is still possible to see. It'll be marked by helping those who are crushed by this world understand that their current circumstances are the perfect opportunity for God to show off his supernatural nature. Wow. Do you see this, saints? The first thing that Jesus does in his ministry is to go to the house of God, the people of God, and say that if you are living a life like I would in that skin of yours, it would look like this, not that. Mm. Are we taking his body of work and his reputation in vain, saints? His reputation of being, working at supernaturally or in super, supernaturally in the most unlikely of people, the ones you may not choose. Because let's be honest, we like to surround ourselves with people who are like us. And then deem God's word, well, you know, you need to be like-minded, so, you know. Yeah, you must be placed into a family. But remember, we're not thinking individually anymore. We're thinking as a body. What is this body here for? Saints, Jesus was anointed to heal, amen? He was anointed to raise the dead like you are. And if that is what you believe, then you would spend a lot more time in hospitals and graveyards. How's your hospital ministry? How's your graveyard ministry? You'll say, well, I mean, I don't have faith to raise the dead. Well, go hang out with those who are about to be dead. How about that? Saints, I believe that when we take honest assessment of who we are and who God is and learn to love the difference between us, it's going to humble us. And humility is the conception of great men and women of God. It's the place where you humbly walk before the Lord and he uses you despite you because of his great namesake. Many of you are talented in every way, amazing in all, all amazing ways. That's not what he's going to use. He doesn't use your resources. He uses his. Because if he uses yours, then, well, I mean, who gets the glory? You can blame it on you. This is why he often strips men of things 
so that he might empower them. Wow. I don't want to neglect such a great salvation, saints. I don't want to neglect that. I believe we nullify the saving work of Jesus Christ when we make this thing just basic. Right? We, all of us work really hard to know the right thing to do, right? And, and then we, so we, then we do it repetitively over and over and over again and as though the kingdom is a matter of taste and touch, right and wrong, when it's actually a matter of righteousness. Avery Posey, the Lord's healed you physically. He's healed your children physically. That's supernatural. You couldn't do it. I remember when you're crying out to the Lord because you were discouraged because you had to fight so long and, and the Lord came through and gave you healing. Amen. That's supernatural. John Hart felt like he's been here for five years, but he's only been here one. And I remember when he walked in in this place purposeless and without without a, an aim. That's supernatural. Many of you are holding on to babies that you will have and some that you do have because those things are supernatural. I remember many of you walking in here with no family, but you had faith and you were lonely and he placed you in this place and gave you a family. Amen. Joshua's got a baby coming and a wife. That's supernatural. He showed up, didn't want either. That's supernatural. Pastor Kaysen Schobert over there, I met him and he's sitting behind a desk on a computer administrating what all he wanted to do was hang out and pastor people. And now he's got a whole freaking church of you people. That's supernatural. And we can go on and on and on and on. That's how the kingdom of God is built, upon supernatural things that happen in your life. Trevor's sitting back there. He's a supernatural manifestation of a hope of a woman who prayed for him. And now he's living in this place. Wow. Supernatural. Somebody say supernatural. supernatural. Verse 21. And he began to say to them today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son? I mean, this is a phenomenal statement, um, Yeshua, but uh, aren't you just that guy down the road? Mm. And he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, so also here, do it in, uh, in our country. <laughs> I mean, like I, I hear what you're saying, but that's too, too good to be true. So listen, you need to prove it. <laughs> oh, hard-hearted people, blind people. He's saying in the synagogue, by the way. I mean, he's like equivalent to a church today. And he's like, I was spoken of by the law, the prophets, the writings. I was born of a virgin. I've been healing people on the way here, by the way. And you need me to prove it? That's a problem. And it's not a me problem, Jesus says. It's your problem. Then he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet's accepted in his own country. Wow. What's he saying? He's saying, That's not going to be the work that actually does this for you, people. If it would have done it, it would have it happened already, right? As the scripture goes on to say, is, you know, if it would have sent somebody back from the grave, then that would have worked for you. 
<laughs> it's not going to work. If you didn't believe the right Moses and the prophets, you're not going to believe me, even if I come back from the dead. And well, that ended up being true for many, did it not? Because they were a hard-hearted people, something was not actually right. They had been overlooking something, and when something, all things, walked into their living room, they did not see it. Wow. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up, Three years and six months, and there was a great famine through all the land. Like the air conditioning in this place, so somebody opened the door. It was lacking. Something was lacking. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. I'm going to stop and teach you a little bit for a minute. Can we do that? Yes. There used to be an old song when I was growing up. It said, things that make you go, hmm. Anybody remember that one? Things that make you go, hmm. You need to stop and go, say what? A widow and, what? and where? Jesus is standing among the people called to carry the Hashem, the name. Are you with me? But he is the name. He is the Hashem. He is the body of work and the reputation that's been spoken about since creation. He was what made the fire burn on the mountain. He was the burning fire in the heart of men. He was it. And he was full of the Holy Spirit. And they were looking at it and still calculating. I wonder if, wow, he's the name. And he says to them, you've forgotten some things that are affecting your ability to see me. You have forgotten some things that are blinding you to the unseen realm. There are some things going on in your life that are causing you to not see what is plainly in front of you because it is spiritually discerned, not cornerly discerned, and your eyes have become crusty. So let me take you back to a minute so you can really understand what Luke 4 is getting at here. And it comes from 1 Kings chapter 17. You can say supernatural when you get there. Or if you have supernatural sight, you can read it on the screen behind me. First Kings chapter 17 and verse 8 is going to teach you about Luke 4. Go figure. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath. This is to Elijah, which belongs to Sidon. And I want you to dwell there. <laughs> Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I might drink. And as she was going to bring it, because hospitality, hospitality, no. thank you, hospitality is their culture. 
He called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand as well. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything to bake. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little bit of oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I might go in and prepare it for me and my son. So we might eat this and just die. Wow. Good Lord. Elijah's just like, get more of it for a minute, why don't you? Elijah's such a nice guy, he says, yeah, anyway, don't fear, just go do what I said. <laughs> no Joel Osteen there. But first make a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, here it is. Make some for yourself and for your son. <laughs> She's like, he's hard of hearing. <laughs> for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. What would you do? Would you eat your last biscuit and go give it to your son, a little part, and you just prepare to die? Or would you act upon the promise? Because that's a supernatural statement. And I'm not really sure whether I'm prepared to go do that and give you my biscuit. And she went and she did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household, they ate for many days. And the jar of the flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke. God, through the messenger, Elijah. Wow. Saints, what time in biblical history was this? These are the days of Elijah. They're the days of Elijah. Are you with me this morning? Elijah shuts up the heavens so that it would not rain, causing it to drought. And even he was subject to what he pronounced. <laughs> this is an ancient Mesopotamian world or a worldview or understanding or mind. It's not yours. Just saying. It's a lot different. In the ancient Mesopotamian world, each region was thought to be ruled by other gods, other powers, other unseen powers. Are you with me? This is how he thought. So if you were in Israel, then Yahweh ruled. And if you were in Zarephath, then Baal ruled. You got me? The ancient world did not think like you. They understood that each nation was ruled by a different spiritual power until it was taken over by Yahweh. In a Hebrew mind, once that, once that region was taken over, then it was sacred ground or what we call holy ground. Until then, it was ruled by another unseen power. Why do I say that? In verse 10, it says, God told Elijah to go to Zarephath that, quote unquote, belonged to Sidon to survive. I want you to go to this land that's forsaken and, and the presence of the Lord, right, is not dominating there. And that's where I'm going to send you to survive. <laughs> Who was the king of Elijah's time? Ahab. Y'all remember that, right? Yeah. Who was his queen? 
Jezebel. And Jezebel was the princess of Sidon. Are you with me? Go to this land where this Jezebel came from. And I'm going to sustain you there. Saints Elijah. Lord saying to Elijah, like, I want you to go to the place that you don't believe is under my dominion. The place where one of your favorite women come from. To a woman who does not know you or know me. To a widow that does not serve me. And she is going to be the one who provides for you in the middle of a famine. That's not lining up with your corner thoughts, are there? Or we'll just say logical. I like to use that word. And in turn, if she receives you and your message, I'll provide for her too. That's a good guy. Since there were only two major women in Elijah's ministry, you all remember? It was Jezebel and the widow of Sidon. Jezebel, who had become part of Israel by covenant, do you remember? Oh, she was a hell of a woman. But she was married and therefore in covenant with the promises of Israel. She lived in the land, sat on the throne, heard the message of Elijah, was heir to the promises and had everything to offer, but refused to simply believe the message that the mailman of God brought. And then there was the widow of Zarephath that was not part of God's people, lived in a Gentile land, worshipped other gods, was not under the dominion of Yahweh, had absolutely nothing to offer, yet chose to believe a simple message from a representative of the Most High God and everything changed. If you will receive me, I will sustain your Sidonian Gentile life. And so while Jezebel sits in a land of promise, weathering the drought, feeding the prophets of Baal, thinking that she is seated in a blessed place, it's the widow who is in the middle of the drought, feeling the sentence of death, feeding the prophet of God that receives supernatural provision from heaven, even though she is nowhere included in the plan of God. Wow. Why? Because she believes the simple but supernatural message of God that came to her during her worst of times. What was it? If you receive my saving grace without cost, I will give it to you for my great namesake. And the scripture even goes on to say, that she would receive life back from the dead of her dead son who died because of the drought. She got that too. A little bit of lanyard, a little bit of extra. On top of that. Oh, <laughs> keep walking with me. Luke 4, 25 says this, but I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except, somebody say except, except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. What was Jesus saying? There are plenty of people who are part of the family of God but serve Baal 
and act like Jezebel. And there are plenty of people who are not part of the family of God, but serve Yahweh when it's convenient to. But I believe Jesus is challenging us to look even deeper than we ever have before at this particular passage, because at this point, many of you have already understood these things. You want to go a little bit deeper? I believe that Jesus is challenging us to look deeper than we ever have before. I believe that when Jesus starts this conversation by saying this is the time of Yahweh's favor, that he is saying whether you have been living together with the people of God and enjoying the marriage covenant of God like Jezebel or whether you have been living outside of the people of God, widowed and cut off in a famine and feeling the sentence of death. If you will renew your simple faith in the supernatural elements of the new covenant that only Yeshua himself can offer, whether you are a Jezebel who is married to the people of God or a pagan worshiping widow living in a place that is under the dominion of other gods with no hope left, if you will accept the free gift that the name, the Hashem, the body of saving work that Yahweh has to offer you, if you will receive it, you will receive God's mighty, powerful hand of work. Saints, it was the Sidonian widow who served other gods who had absolutely nothing to bring to the table. And she walked away from that time in her life that she was sure was going to kill her and her children. Because of her demonstration of faith, she walked away with resurrection power and a little bit of bread. Wow. Is that the kind of faith that will be found in your life when Yeshua shows up to encounter you? Will it? Or does the supernatural in your life that you are so desperately in need of to be there for you have restrictions placed on it by you? Remember Deuteronomy? Do not add to nor take away from my word. I'm sorry, that was oral at that point, not even written. So why are you talking about being textual? No, it's about putting prohibitions on things that God didn't put prohibitions on or taking away from what he has said would be like um, this relationship is going to be supernatural. I'm going to do powerful things through your life for my great namesake. And uh, you don't get to like not believe that. This is what the imperfect ancients were commended for in Hebrews, right? What were they commended for? They were commended for their supernatural faith. Trust them what they could not see. Certain of things that they they could not see. Are you with me this morning? The widow had nothing, but what did she have? (laughs) A promise. Oh, she had a promise, but nothing else. And if you would meet her today and she walked into this place, you know what you call her? Wow. You're radical. She'd be like, no, I'm not. I'm just normal. It's about time we turn back to the super normal, amen? Amen. 
He goes on to say the Zarephath that quote unquote belonged to Sion. Did y'all see that in the passage? Says this region was under the power of other gods except for the one home that would dare to believe in the God of Israel and that the God of Israel would in fact extend his promises to such a dead dog as these. <laughs> I'm aiming this morning. Is that okay? I mean, I told you up front, so I was just honest with you. We have such bad habits of complicating the gospel and placing prohibitions on our walk that God did not put there. Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to heal the sick. So where are all the sinners and sick in your life? Are you only like to hang around the well? And those who already stopped sinning? Only. I feel like sometimes that we're doctors handing out medicine to meet our own quota. Right? We're like doctors just like tossing out medicine to heal our own quota, to heal the hearts of men, right? Instead, that causes us to distance ourselves from the very ones we're supposed to help. Luke 4.27 says it like this, and many lepers, he goes on to say, were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. And none of them were cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. Oh, this is going to be a good one. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. You're not ready. You're not You're not ready because already, you already missed the whole verse. You're like, oh, yeah, cool. Naaman heard about that. Saints, that's a, the equivalent of saying many were inf infected right, by an incur uh, incurable Islamic wickedness, but none of them were gifted salvation but Osama bin Laden. You'd be like, er, whoa, what? wait, what? <laughs> or many were infected with a spirit of confusion, but none were granted salvation except, you know, Caitlin Bruce Jenner. Okay, we're getting close to your, to your times. Your relevant issues that you have to figure out what to do with. Saints, neither of those have happened. But maybe they would have if we'd stop seeing them as lepers and start giving them a medicine that's already been given to you. Physician, heal yourself. Physician, heal your own self. Jesus is like, um, I showed up to the hospital to talk to you doctors about what you're holding, but not administrating. Second Kings five is where we talk about naming. You can turn there in verse one and say supernatural when you get there. Yep, that is what you are. Second Kings five, verse one. Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Not a good thing in Israel. You ever been to a leper colony? You understand they still exist, right? Yeah. Now the Syrians on one of their... <laughs> When's your next outreach? Haven't really thought about that one for some reason. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. 
That's not good. He's got slave children in his house. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who were in Samaria. He would cure his leprosy. That's an audacious little girl. So verse 9, so Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Good for him. He had a problem with that, right? He was an arrogant man, so he wasn't really sure whether that was really a good idea. He figured probably the doctor should make a house call to his house and come cure him. Instead, he has an issue because he's got to go to the doctor's house to get cured. A little arrogance doesn't go a long way. But he had a moment of sobriety. Turned out good for him. Watch this. And Elisha sent a message to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. (laughs) You got to imagine that he didn't want to go in the first place. He thought it should have come to him. Right? So now this is not going to go very well for him when he's like, No, you come to me and heal me. But Naaman was angry. And went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hand over the place and say, all good leper, be clean. (laughs) Dude's charismatic. You know, you believe in Yahweh. (laughs) Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus? Better than all the waters of Israel? (laughs) It's like, couldn't you send me to a healing spa in the Caribbean? (laughs) Why go to the muddy waters, you know, of the Brazo River in Houston? How's that going to work? Could I not wash in them and be clean? Wouldn't that work? (laughs) So he turned and he went away in rage. Wow. But his servants came near to him and he says, my father. It is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? He's like, did he actually say this could happen? Like, what are you doing? So he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the water, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. He didn't get, he didn't go back to what was. He like went way back and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, behold, I know that there is a God in all the earth, but there's only a God in Israel. I know that there's only a God in Israel. I know that now Yahweh is who he says he is. Wow. That's amazing to me. Verse 16, but he said, as the Lord lives before whom I have stood, I receive. No, I'm sorry. Verse 15. Then he returned to the men of God and all his company. And he came and stood before him and he said, behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Verse 17. Then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mules, two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any God but the Lord. I won't do it. I am now committed to Yahweh. 
which makes verse 18 pretty interesting. In this matter, may the Lord pardon me, though. I got, but this one thing. When my master goes into the house, I'm just going to call him Ramon. Because <laughs> I can't stop saying it like that. To worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of this foreign god. When I bow myself in this house, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. Elisha says to him, yeah, that's cool. Go in peace. <laughs> what? Says these aren't the days of Elijah. These are the days of Elisha, Elijah's disciple. You got, there's a change there. There was a man who was a commander of an Armenian army who was a child slave trafficker that worshipped the Syrophoenician deity Ramon or Ramon. But in his house lived a Hebrew slave girl who, although she was stolen to be placed there into his home, had the audacity to believe that God, the God of Israel, would heal her slave master. There must have been something radically different, biblically at least. Some radical, different biblical beliefs than some of us carry here today. Because in what world do we look at our slave trafficker and say, you should probably go get healed. Not saved, just go get healed. Like the Lord will extend you that. As though the healings of the Lord are, you know, just for the righteous. Wow. I think as, as soon as we stop believing that the Bible's just for Christians is the day that we'll see healing break out in this city among the witches and among everybody else that just don't find us to be attractive. And God will finally make the papers instead of us. Saints, this story is different than the story of the widow, but it's the same. There was Elijah and there was Elisha. Elijah was sent to the widow. Naaman is challenged to go and find Elisha. In the widow's case, healing would be found in the demonically controlled Sidon. In Naaman's, the Syrian's case, healing would be found in Samaria. Samaria eventually would become known where God would mix with what God's people would mix with foreign gods. <laughs> Both of these are the point. They are the most unlikely candidates in the most unlikely places that Yeshua wants you to know that there are people there that will say yes to Yahweh. The widow, the widow who had nothing gets a prophet sent to her and the man who has everything gets a little Hebrew girl sent to her, sent him. A little Hebrew girl with the radical truth in Yahweh who for some reason doesn't see a need for qualifications to put on Nahum, Naaman to receive healing. Who's that sound like? 
It sounds like Jesus. He didn't pre-qualify and then heal. He healed and then said, hey, listen, I'll put you on good footing. Now go and worship Yahweh. Man, some things we just got backwards, don't we? And so he listens, Naaman, and he shows up at Elisha's door. And what happens? <laughs> I'll tell you what happens. What happens with a lot of you? And I think it's some of the point today as we begin to turn this message. He's offended. He's offended. Healing shows up at his door. The message of God shows up at his door. He doesn't really like how it comes, so he's offended, like the American Secessionist Church. He's offended. So then he, right? He's got a choice. Either I'm going to believe the supernatural, or I'm going to say, no, I'm just going to choose my Caribbean spa, create a domination out of it, and then we're just going to make that, you know, call that healing. 2 Kings 5.10, and Elisha sent a message to him saying, go and wash, what, seven times? You all remember? He's like, what? Apparently, Elisha and the little girl had some of the same kind of theology that many of us need to get because you don't see Elisha asking Naaman for his resume to see if God will heal him. Wow. Both the widow and Naaman was, both the widow and Naaman who was offended brought nothing to the table. But they had a moment where there was a supernatural promise that they could answer. And if they would act on it, everything would change for them even though they did not change. Why? Romans 2.1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the same things. We pass judgment on those who don't believe but express better faith than we do who do believe. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, like without even knowing them, that you will escape the judgment of God? Watch this, verse 4. Or do you pursue, presume, good Lord, or do you presume on the riches of the kindness and forbearance and patience? Watch, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead to repentance. What comes before repentance? The kindness of God. Why does God reign on the just and the unjust? Because he's good. Why does God extend kindness to the wicked? To empower them to repent. You're holding the medicine, saints. Why does God give you believers the gift of the Holy Spirit before you display good behavior? To cure your unbelief in the supernatural. Tell me you don't wrestle with the gifts of God. It's like being at a birthday party and you get seven gifts, but you never open them because you're not really sure they're for you. And if, you're not, and if you are sure, well, they're for me. I don't really know what will happen if I open them up. Because I don't know what he would give me and he would give me and it might embarrass me and my friends. 
Wow, it's a trust issue, isn't it? No wonder he gave them to you. So you can work out trust. This whole thing's about trust, amen? amen? Why does Jesus go straight to the synagogue? Because they held all the cards for the community, just like you hold all the cards for the community. Why did God send you a messenger this morning? Because you have what they need. You have what the widow wants. You have what Naaman needs. Am I, am I wrong? Tell me I'm wrong. How does Naaman react? With offense. Go and take seven baths in a dirty river. <laughs> nah, this is way too easy, way too practical. That can't be it. That can't be it. I traveled all this way. I got out my comfort and I went over to you to get a word from God and get some healing. And you're going to tell me, well, I could have just did that at home. Offended. Offended at the supernatural. Does it offend you? It's way too easy. Surely I need to do something that involves a great sacrifice. It needs to cost me a whole lot of money and risk my life. That'll be the answer. That'll cure my leprosy of heart. No, you just need to go take a bath. Matter of fact, you need seven of them. I'm a pastor, so I get this all the time, right? And it looks like this. Pastor, my marriage is struggling, and I feel like the sentence of death, and I just can't, like, take it anymore, and I, I need... I need a mind-blowing biblical revelation from heaven in itself. That's what I need. You know what pastor says? Pastor says, well, how long has it been since you went on a date with your spouse? Uh, but you, um, uh, I mean, how long has it been married couples since you had sex? Well, I mean, um, how long has it been since you filled your spouse's love tank instead of your own? Well, pastor, I mean, I, I, excuse, 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 excuse. That's just can't be from the Lord. How about you single sheep in here? Well, pastor, I, you know, I, I've been witnessing to my friends for years and I, I can't seem to get through to them. I've been praying for a spouse forever. And well, you know, I'm just waiting on the Lord. And pastor says, well, when are you going to start masturbating? And you're like, why is that even relevant? When are you going to get a job? Oh, well, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, we ain't gonna stop playing video games and devote yourself to a transformation. So that those people who you are actually concerned about might find your faith attractive. Right. I'll go pray about that, Pastor. <laughs> Dirty. Go take a bath. You need to go take a bath. I need to pray about that. No. You ever meet anybody who needs to take a bath? They don't need. It's evident that that does not take prayer. It stinks. Well, I prayed about it, you know, they didn't say, you know, I, you know, video games. I mean, uh, uh, I know, you know, I'll find a church down the road. Then my friends will be attracted to the church and I don't have to change. I wonder how many times it took before Naaman felt embarrassed 
at the simplicity of the transformational task of just taking a bath. I wonder what would happen if his pride would have caused him to stop at five baths. Anybody ever take a three-minute shower because you're in a hurry? That's not clean. You ever get tired of the same counsel you seek? And it's the same answer every time? So then what you do is go find another pastor so that he might give you a different answer? And then you find these pastors and we all give you the same answer? I mean, I swear, that Pastor Michael, it's, a, it's like he gave me the same answer seven times. The same answer seven times. Honestly, saints, I mean, I, I wonder how many of you would finally be healed because you finally immerse yourself completely in humility and no longer stop short right before your healing happens. Because, I mean, your healing could not possibly be simply, just as simple as total obedience to what godly representation in your life has already instructed you to do. I did nine out of ten things. You just hit reboot. You don't get to go take two more baths, right? One more bath. You got to go back and bathe all over again. Saints, Naaman was a superstar in in his world, like many of you are, and some of you are in your own minds. He was very capable. He was self-sufficient. He was well-liked, but God wanted him to know that even with all that he was, he was also a leper. Something that was impossible to get rid of in his world, something that in his world only a God could do, and his God in his world could not do it. And if you are a God in your own mind, you can't do it. And maybe you don't think you're a God in your own mind, but if you think you can sufficiently carry out full healing for yourself, then you are. It probably just takes your total humiliation of yourself to receive it. And this is what Naaman knew needed to happen and did not want to do. But when he did, Saints, these are amazing truths about the account of Naaman. But again, I think Jesus is challenging us to an even greater understanding today. Luke 4.27 said this, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Jesus could have just, just could have hit them all. Could have did what Naaman says, like, whoo, whoo. like I'm gonna do my hand and just like a Benny Hinnett, whoo, right? But he didn't. And there's a reason. Something that we need to get this morning. Second Kings five is teaching you how to be healed, amen. amen. But Luke four twenty seven is teaching you how to make sure others get healed. This is what Yeshua was doing when he walked in to the house that should have been the house of healing. That become a house of horror. 
You see, when someone has leprosy, other people put distance between themselves. They put distance between the leper and themselves. And how is that effective if you are entrusted with the gospel that heals them? How is that effective? It is not. You can be a saint, but be ineffective. You walked into a place this morning that cares about you not just being a son and daughter of the living God, but being an effective one. Not just remaining a baby, but actually being a full grown, hell shaking saint. Saints, we've got to get past picking and choosing who we believe is qualified to receive the good news from us. Because if we keep doing that, then it'll be us that are the leper. And this is what Yeshua was doing with the synagogue leaders. Pay attention to this passage that Jesus is pointing us to this morning in 2 Kings 5.15. It says, Then Naaman returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is a God in all the earth. Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except the God of Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, I won't receive it. He refused. Saints, Naaman was a Gentile. Naaman was a pagan Gentile. Naaman was a child trafficking pagan Gentile. And Naaman was not seeking God, and he didn't want to seek God. Naaman's motives were selfish. And if Elisha had added to Naaman any prerequisites for healing the goodness and kindness of Yahweh's nature, would have been lost because of it. And Naaman would have not seen Yahweh in the entire thing. He would have remained blind. He would have only seen Elisha. But even that is not what we're, I believe Jesus is trying to teach us today. Look at verse 17. Then Naaman said, if not, please let there be Given to your servant two mules loaded with earth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any God but to Yahweh the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Ramon <laughs> to worship there. Leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon when this happens, when I bow myself. In this house of this pagan God, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he says to him, okay, go in peace. When's the last time that you looked it up? Stripper. Yeah, stripper. Who just got healed by Jesus. And it sat well with you to say, when she says, listen, I got to go back to work tomorrow because I got kids to feed. And I got to work this thing out that's going on in my life. I haven't understood it, you know. So uh, permit me to go back to work while I figure this thing out. When's the last time that sat well with you? Naaman says, do not think, do you think God will take back my healing and be offended? I mean, if I go back and worship in the temple of Ramon? My answer would be like, okay, I think you like you kill your, keep your healing, but offend it? Yep. For sure. Yes. I <laughs> do. That'd be my answer. Honest opinion. Elijah says, I'm good with it. What? What? 
What does Jesus know about the Sidonian widow and the Syrian commander that we do not? They have something that the synagogue leaders in Luke 4 and so many of us have lost sight of today. It's the revelation that we bring absolutely nothing to the table and that the relationship between you and Yeshua, between you and Jesus is and will always be based on a supernatural gifted to you salvation and your trust in God's ability to save you. What is your faith in? Is your faith in Jesus? You read in the Bible? That's nursery rhyme. What is your faith in? Your faith is either in the reputation and body of work of King Yeshua, a supernatural work going on in a depraved people, or your faith is misplaced and it's why you're not experiencing supernatural life. Wow. What was the one thing that both the widow and the commander had in common? They both had nothing to offer God. Zero. What was the one thing that both of them were given? A promise. If you will believe and receive this gift that is supernatural in your world, then I will do something in your life that the gods you previously served could not do. Save you. Heal you. Even resurrect your dead loved ones. I'll do that. Put our strings attached. I'll do that. Here's your chance. Will you believe me? We've complicated this thing so much, haven't we? And if you believe me, despite you, your loved ones will even receive life back from the dead. And I will put you in best position to say yes to me. But right now you cannot... So for my great namesake, I'm going to put you in the position to say yes to me in hopes that you would. Neither the widow nor Naaman were given further requirements, saints, after receiving supernatural provision for healing. No go get circumcised. No go join a church. No go get a Bible. Nothing. Nothing. Are we extending what's been freely given to us at a cost? Are we walking out of these doors and sharing our faith with others, but they know what's not coming out of your mouth. They think that their strings attached so they don't trust you. As though you gave something to God in return for what he's given you. No, he gave you a free gift and it's where it started. His goodness and his kindness and his mercy was extended to you so that your life might actually resurrect, period, so that you can even possibly say yes to him. It's his fault. And this message ticked off the religious. 
Luke 4, 28. And so those in the synagogue who knew exactly what Jesus was saying when he was talking about widows and lepers, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. They were pissed. And rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill of which their city was built. That they might throw him over the cliff. Verse 30, then passing through the midst of them. He's like, ah, he's going away. I'm like, I'm good. Jesus says, yes, you must kill me or I can't give to you power over the grave and resurrection life. But not today, Satan. Not today. It's going to be my choice. You're not going to kill me, right? I'm going to lay my life down. It's my choice. Let me talk to you about a few other passages, and we're going to close this out this morning. I was reminded of Mark 12, 38, when he said, And in his teaching, Jesus says, Be aware of the scribes who like to walk around with long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the feast who devour widows who devour widows houses and for a pretense make long prayers i get so tired of well articulated prayers i just want to hear your heart it really encourages me they will receive the great condemnation wow and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people put money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said this. Truly, I say to you, the poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Man, you really want to check somebody's love you check their bank account for they all contributed out of their abundance but she out of her poverty put in everything she had all she had to live on that is supernatural Luke 17 11 says this about some other lepers now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria, interesting place, and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourself to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Well, that sounds just like Naaman. And one of them, when he saw that he, were, he was healed, returned. And with a loud voice, glorified God. And fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Interesting place where healing's still happening. So Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the other nine? Were there not any found who return to give God glory except the foreigner? 
And he said to them, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. It's been a long time since I saw somebody being physically healed by being immersed in the body of Christ because of their obedience. And I've been watching it in the Hunter family for the last couple years. I've been watching Brittany physically change, physically get healed as she is rising in her faith on a daily basis. And the more she says yes, the more she gets healed. That's supernatural. Why does Jesus keep pointing us to widows and to lepers? Because they have no choice but to depend upon the supernatural lifestyle that Jesus has to offer. And if you're depending on anything else, you are selling yourself short. What the Sidonian widow had left for her and her son, she gave to the prophet and that positioned herself and her son for supernatural promise. Saints, you have a promise that was freely given to you. It's your salvation and your love that you do get to have and receive with King Jesus. But that's just the beginning. There is so much more. But you need to display faith like Jesus displayed in his father's work, in his Hashem, in his name. The father didn't have to prove himself to Yeshua. Yeshua didn't have to prove himself to you. It's in his name. It's what he does. It's who he is. He doesn't have to prove it to you. Go and get it. What the ten lepers had to offer was unholy. But the one who returned positioned himself for supernatural promise. And what the widow in Matthew 12 had to offer was all she had to live on. And it positioned her for supernatural promise. Saints, many of you have in here have plenty. Yeah, that's because of God. But he's trying to give you something outside of that plenty, above and beyond, beyond those things. More than what you currently have received with him, whether it's relationally, provisionally, revelational, whatever it is. You understand that? What is Jesus teaching us that we must renew today as we're bringing this back to this circular message? Many men follow God, but do not live supernatural lives. They only live basic. They only live rote, ritualistic and religious forms without the power. Forms without the power. Forms without power. Because they don't need power for a safe, faithless life that they have chosen. They don't need that for that. They're good because they got their ticket to heaven. That in of itself is leprosy. These men, people like this, are widows with no husbands and lepers in need of a bath. But the men who chose or choose to follow Jesus will be those who are not known for their outstanding character, their stellar reputations. They're not going to be known by those things. 
They're not going to be marked by this abundance. They're going to be the Naamans of this world. They're going to be the Sidonian widows in this world. They're going to be the temple lepers and the poor people who give all they have to live on, but whose lives testify to the supernatural, unseen kingdom of God that is among us. Look around, saints. You live in America's Jerusalem, the religious capital of the world. Church has been done on every flavor that you can imagine. If you want it to be convenient, well buttoned up, beautiful, as you call it, then you can have that in every convenience store with a steeple on it that you want. But you'll be hard pressed to find supernatural power going on because it's the times that we live in. The times of Elisha and the times of Elisha have gone and now have come back. What are you going to be? What kind of believer are you going to be? Deuteronomy 4.9 when we started. Only take care and keep your souls diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and depart from your heart the life that's been given to you. I know many of your stories. Many of your stories are supernatural. What I don't want is for them to have been supernatural. Verse 11, and you come and you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with the fire of the heart of heaven. Is that what you expect when you walk into the presence of God? That your heart burns with the heart of heaven? Or are you just okay with church attendance, some good Bible studies, and a 30-minute prayer time each week? I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. Do not take this thing vain. Saints, I don't want to build a house of intellectuals who know scripture but know nothing of his power. This community started in power. And we're going to continue in supernatural power. This is going to be a community of people who have I am an overcomer written on their forehead. Not just their bumper stickers. <laughs> a people who are marked by the supernatural because if supernatural is not what's happening in their life, it's not life. Mark 6, 1 says it like this. This is the same story in a different Gospel, which gives you a different perspective and a few more words of how Jesus thought when he walked into this synagogue. He went away from there 
and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Why are there not more people that we could say that about in the kingdom of God? Because we don't believe it. We just think that was for Jesus. You need to read your Bible. Is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary and the brother of James and Jonas and Judas and Simon. And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Interesting. Naaman. And Jesus said to them, a prophet's not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Here it is. And he could not do mighty, no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on just a few sick people and healed them. Welcome to the American church. God's here. He's present. Oh, he's good. He'll never forsake his people, but his people forsake him a lot. How? Verse six. And he marveled because of their unbelief. You think he's talking about he being the Messiah. No, 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 no. That's just where it starts. Their unbelief in the Hashem, in the name, had been gone a long time. You realize when Yeshua showed up to the temple, there was no Ark of the Presence, the covenant. He walked into an empty temple that all men were worshiping at daily and were satisfied with it. And he flipped the tables and said, this should be a house of prayer which in them would be a house of power and it would be supernatural because then when the nations come, they would see the pillar of fire on top, but there is none. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And so what does he do because of that? He goes on and he doesn't forsake them or walk away. He says, I guess I'm just going to go on and just keep on teaching a lot. You are saturated with teaching. You can pull up a YouTube. You can get the finest of teachers on the planet. You are overfed and fat. Because you need to put into practice what you do have instead of thinking the answer is to get what you don't have. And God will use your pennies to do something powerful. Because you know why? Because it will be clear that it's him and it's not you. Saints, it's time that we renew our belief in the supernatural power of the living God who is with us and among us in power and in might. Do you know that name is name meant beautiful? Because God loves to take the most unlikely people from the most unlikely places and do supernatural things 
And that's what he's going to do here. He's been doing it since the beginning, and it's second wave. I showed you the picture of the, the first ones that the Lord gave our family when we got here. But look around. They aren't the only ones. And each one of your lives represent a harvest. Each one of your life represents generations of people who will be saved, set free, delivered, filled with the Holy Spirit, and brought to confront the kingdom of darkness who is trying to pawn off a counterfeit. That's who you are. That's what you're doing. This is what you are here for. These leaders that we showed you were the first of many. They are the first of many. They are the first of many. And that means some of you are exactly that. And all 